From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. You're with Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hey, ho, let's go. Remember the Ramones, everybody. Rock and roll high school. Don't you just love the Ramones? Remember when music was about revolution and fun and spirit and changing things? Well, my next guest, Stephen B. Armstrong, wrote a book all about it. He is a music historian with numerous publications, including Paul Bartel, The Life and Films, Pictures About Extremes, the films of John Frankenheimer and Andrew V. v. McLaglen, uh, The Life uh, and Hollywood Career. I also edit books, he says. Uh, he's written this new book, though, about the Ramones, I Want You Around. It's all about the making of rock and roll high school. He's here with us, as is Spencer Drake, who is an author and award-winning creative director and designer whose rock album covers are legendary in the music world. He, alongside with Judy Salvitz, has not only designed for the music uh, uh, famous, including 25 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees and their albums design in MoMA and all over the place and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Spencer and Steven, welcome to the show. How are you guys doing today? Hey, ho, let's Great. go. Hey, hey, let's go, Joe. <laughs> so, so Stephen, I was uh, checking out your book, and it um, it's gotten really, really good reviews. In the, one of them says, "In the end, I want you around," which is the name of the book. Is not just about rock and roll high school, or even just about the Ramones. It's a celebration of a time when music had the power to galvanize a generation, and movies could capture that lightning in a bottle. Uh, it goes on to say kudos to Armstrong for crafting such a loving, detailed and thoroughly rocking tribute. And it did make me think, like, do you think that uh, music and art used to mean more than than they do now? Mean more in, in terms of like ideology or or because, I mean, I'm we're in the age of Taylor Swift, where she wins the the person of the, the year for Time magazine. And it seems like music is more. I guess it's more wallpaper. It's wherever you go now. I was just at a basketball game this afternoon, and between every shot, practically, they start to to dunk us with music. But that holding the attention that that I think that your your introduction got to right there, and somehow getting into our our our, our ethics and our and our sense of right and wrong, and also uh, revolution and fun. Yeah, that that really has diminished. I, I do believe, and uh, it's it's more of a it's 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 just, it's almost like catchy sound design it's the soundtrack for our existence and i don't know if we're we're as focused maybe as we were in the second half of the 1970s on changing things and there was some magic like when you think of the film rock and roll high school and just the films of that generation too not just the albums the films had some kind of spiritual magic to them some kind of um kismet with the human condition that that made you want to be great yourself it made you want to create stuff and and build exceptional lives i don't think people have that as much anymore then we you know we're, we live in this blockbuster world like you said taylor swift is the person of the year and I don't even really know anything about her music much, to be honest. I haven't investigated it, so I don't have any sort of hatred for her or anything. I don't really care who Time Magazine is putting as their person of the year. But I did see some people talking, discussing it on X and thinking about it like, uh, you know, 
comparing her to sort of even when in the 90s of Nirvana, when the music really sort of mattered more, had a had a more soulful connection with the human condition, I would say, or with actual loss or with actual trials and tribulations. Now it seems to be this sort of uh, rah, rah, rah about success and how huge you can get and how many likes and social media credits you get. I, you know, I, I agree. Yes, Spencer, you wanted to go? Well, the, the thing that uh, I agree with everything that's being said, the, the little niche that falls into this little slot is vinyl, which, uh, which is that old going back thing which is now reviving itself in a very big way because I'm involved with making vinyl event. And, uh, and, uh, uh, but I agree with everything you said though, but in that little, I'm just revolving something that within the niche, there's this vinyl surge in here, which is an old thing. That's really great because you can put your hands on it and that whole thing. But uh, most of life is totally different now. I mean, I, I agree with what, what you were saying, Joe and uh, Stephen. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about how, how you know, the, the 1950s with with Elvis coming along and, and that was revolt. And again, this is this is not like a, a necessarily political revolt of right and wrong. It's more cultural revolt. And you had the 50s mm. and then the 60s follow. And they it's a, it's a snubbing of that. That sort of scrubbed behind the ears uh, a portrait that that we have of the fifties, those the happy days. And you started off with uh, 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 you know pop songs and end it with psychedelic psychedelia. And the seventies came along with Prague, and so the seventies were a reaction to the sixties, just as the sixties were a reaction to the fifties. Right. And I and I just wonder if maybe something happened in that second half of the seventies was like, well, we've explored this is where rock and roll goes. Uh, as, as maybe as far as it can go with, with punk, with the novelty and maybe some of the loudness and the speed and the confrontational aspects of it. And then the 80s, you have that whole sort of commercialization of punk. And and now, you know, maybe hip hop came along. But if you listen to hip hop now, it's largely ultra commercial, too. And I, and I yeah. just don't know. You know, it's like after the 80s, what what's there to rebel against? And, yeah, there was that last surge maybe with Nirvana and, and Dinosaur Jr. and bands like that. But even now, Dinosaur Jr. is covering the cure. So it's all kind of a mixed up sort of thing. It just, I don't know if there's enough to resist against anymore. Although, if you, you know, in my own life, I guess I wrote a book about the Ramones because I want to resist. I'm, I'm not particularly happy with the way things are, whether it's politically or, or, or ideologically or, or aesthetically myself. And, and I find something really rich to tap in that 1970s period. You know, what's interesting and, and is. Jesse Malin evolved the club. He's a great musician, by the way. Uh, he evolved the club called Bowery Electric in New York. Now, what I want to bring up a point is very interesting. CBGB's was this, you know, of course, was the very central part of a lot of the great groups playing in New York, alternative or punk or whatever. And then CBGB's left and said, well, there's no CBGB's, so what's there? But Bowery Electric is interesting because that's a club in New York now which has a lot of punk bands, for instance, has a lot of uh, rebellious sound coming out. Um, it's a replacement of CBGB's, but it does have that feeling, which excites me in music because 
there's a lot of new groups playing there a lot of uh fresh sound a lot and again a lot of punk also uh there's by the way there's punk and in, in country western also you know it's very interesting <laughs> it evolved into this other plane right right yeah so it, yeah so it's like crazy but you know there are some nice things i feel in music that are going on but there's a lot of junk um i think hip-hop really destroyed the grammys i mean when hip-hop first came in it was like all of a sudden they they flooded the whole grammy thing and that became a real downer for me i mean as soon as that happened i said uh-oh forget about it you know what i mean so now you sound like a luddite spencer now you sound like a luddite you can't blame hip-hop for this (laughs) like hip-hop was amazing too man 90s hip-hop Gangstar, when hip hop first came onto the scene in like Biggie, Tupac, right. NWA, Public Enemy, that stuff is amazing, incredible, oh, yeah. incredible music. It's it, I, it had the same revolutionary spirit that the Ramones did, actually. Well, I mean, you know, listen, I designed for Tone Loke, Young MC, and and uh, Big Daddy Kane. So I was in that hip hop with design. Uh, I'm not, I'm just saying that. Uh, maybe I have to reword this. I'm not against hip hop because it's a it's a very uh, important thing. Uh, it said they say things too. Uh, so that type of music I really like is just the fact that when it came in, I think it came in with a big hype thing and became too much. So it's like now it's kind of like in this other area. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah, no. It- it veered into a weird area it's definitely in a weird place i mean there seems to be some sort of satanic agenda with a lot of this music that comes out (laughs) i mean dojo cat it's not even like it's not subtle it's like it's you know whether it's like a masquerade ball or for real satanic ritual stuff it's one or the other but they're definitely doing some demonic sort of ceremonial stuff all the time (laughs) i mean steven i'm curious though why you pinpointed rock and roll high school and the ramones in terms of all the all that you could have brought to light what was it about the film rock and roll high school and the ramones that made you want to write a book about the making of it well there's certainly an autobiographical aspect to the to this and that that i was sort of on the, the, the nerdy spectrum uh when i was 12 13 years old and to, to kind of break out of that, I started to to do athletics in high school. And at the same time, uh, I, started, I was watching MTV a lot. And and my parents had uh, HBO for some reason or Showtime, whatever it was back then. And and I was starting to get get cool from watching TV. Lou Reed came on on, on MTV. And I was like, whoa, what what is that? and um got my first Lou Reed album and then I'm watching Eating Raul on on cable TV like, whoa what is that it was like a punk rock equivalent of uh yeah. the movies and uh and and just became kind of fascinated with with low budget movies and and sort of what I guess you would call it outre rock and roll stuff that has some artistic cred to it pedigree and uh I, I was sort of I was prime primed for the Ramones I'd already by the time I was about 15 I'd been I'd been listening to the records for uh leave home I had a copy of that and I had uh I a friend had had loaned me the 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 Ramones the first one and a a copy of the rock and roll high school soundtrack 
and what was getting getting moving sort of from from art rock roxy music and lou reed to to punk new york city punk and 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 about that time uh mtv uh was broadcasting rock and roll high school on sunday nights and so uh parents and a little sister had gone to bed on a sunday night and i snuck out of my room and went downstairs and and turned on the um the rca and watched the uh the, that movie with commercials and and with uh, some of the best parts cut out and and just left it was like uh wow that is that's really something there and uh it's kind of, kind of the same effect i've had a few times so like when i saw pulp fiction the first time in the movie theater or uh the wild bunch it just left me with this big feeling and uh you know i i i went to college eventually and and was listening that's i'm still in this sort of art rock funk tom waits not to put that down but you know just sort of maybe clash and 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 kind of left lou reed behind and there was a lot of rap and and uh after uh living in cities for a long time i got into graduate school and uh started to write about film uh and you know started writing for movie magazines and doing movie pieces and also doing a lot of album reviews and and so music and movies have always been complementary of in my in my worldview and sort of both are in my head simultaneously it's like i'll see a movie from the 1940s and say you know, that's a rock and roll movie but how can it be rock and roll it's it's not it's it's before before rock and roll but there's a kind of like that spirit that force that power and uh so after many years of of writing books and articles about the movies i i i proposed that, that book that you mentioned about paul bartell who plays mr mcgree in uh the uh the uh, uh rock and roll high school and paul bartell had directed eating raul and also death race 2000 which is a roger corman movie new world pictures and which which rock and roll high school is and so while writing the book on Paul Bartel, I got to actually know many, many people who worked on Rock and Roll High School, including Joe Dante, the, the director of Gremlins, famously, and Alan Arkish, who directed Rock and Roll High School. And I, I then did, a, 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 as a series editor for some oral histories on, on New World Pictures, this really kind of subversive, uh, uh, hard to pin down sort of a, a movie company owned by this this uh this this guy roger corman and uh it was a breeding ground for great talent jonathan demi passed through new world pictures and so did james cameron and and ron howard and and i i, I interviewed roger corman too and I, and i and i put together this series of books that were an oral history of rock and roll high school and uh, what happened is, is that it got me an agent and the agent contacted me, not not me finding an agent. And uh, and he said, come up with an idea for a book. He wanted me to do a book about the 40th anniversary of Gremlins. And as much as I, I like Joe Dante's movies, Gremlins was a, a, a movie that didn't really change my life. It was an entertaining film to go see. Rock and Roll High School kind of led me away from that nerdiness that I was talking about to that cool world of rock and roll of, of sort of defiance and standing up uh, uh to the establishment and uh and so so the gremlins idea for a book that wasn't going anywhere and I came up with the agent uh, he's, a, he's a creative agent I said uh, how about rock and roll high school 
eh, it won't sell. Nobody will be interested in that. And I said, okay, all right. <laughs> but I did the proposal anyway, and he sold it to the publisher. And so I spent about 18, uh, no, yeah, 18 months researching, writing, and then uh, editing it. And, and, and that's how it came to be. But yeah, I, and I also, had interest for 40 yeah. years in the film. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Steve, but the most important point is the paper should know is the book sold out on the first printing. Uh, the book sold out, right? Well, the the it's it's this new publishing environment that we're in, and that it seems like um, the the uh, the online uh, the online vendors get get to buy the the books, right. and and uh, so so the books went to those groups, Barnes and Noble and Amazon. And uh, very, leaving very few in, in the warehouse, so it's been quite difficult for me to go and um, you know promote the book in in indie bookstores. I'm in a part of the country where, you know, I'm close to Los Angeles, I'm close to Las Vegas, mm -hmm. and I'm close to Salt Lake City, and I just haven't been able to get to the to the the indie bookshops and do author events. But they've just announced that they're going to do a second run, which is just right. fabulous news, and I'll be able to. Right. go out in my car because i'm just two hours north of the punk rock museum in in las vegas and they've already told me they would stock the book and uh so thanks for that reminder spencer yeah yeah well congratulations on the sellout of the first print and let's get another one going and we'll be right back after these words on tnt tnt radio's hervoy morich approximately six hundred and fifty thousand ukrainian men aged 18 to 60 have left ukraine for europe since the start of the war it's a tough spot if your country is being invaded uh that's one thing and you're a, a male and a citizen um but you know if the war if it's a globalist war i, I wouldn't want to participate <laughs> in these banker globalist wars and most of them just uh are pervoy morich on today's news talk radio TNT. the light is britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies <laughs> No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles, and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk, and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours, where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk Are we on the air? Am I on the air? You're on the air. On the air 24-7. Your news talk giant. TNT. Back with Stephen Armstrong and Spencer Drake. We're talking about the Ramones. We're talking about rock and roll. We're talking about rock and roll high school and Stephen's new book all about the making of rock and roll high school. So what do you think, uh, what lessons can musicians of our time learn from the Ramones in your point of view, Stephen? That's, that's a very difficult question uh, for me as a non-musician. But uh, I think that with the Ramones, it, it's, it's really underrated this, the songwriting craft that those guys knew how to write a, a, a wonderful song that stays in the ear and also kind of gets the heart uh, pumping there's a lot of these these sort of sped up anthems these you know they're not they're not springsteen like or anything but they 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 do have that kind of ability to just make you feel more alive and i i, I don't really hear that quite as as much as as i used to there are these none of these bands today that i i really take note of and i don't want to i don't want to 
throw my net too wide, but but uh, with a, a three minute song that that just is is drum, bass, maybe two guitars and a, and a, and a singer, uh, a, a catchy melody and, and and harmonies. I just I'm it's when I turn on the radio, I I, I don't hear that, and I, I listen to a lot of pop. I have a nine year old daughter. And and of what's out there, you know, I, I, there, there's some good stuff like Dua Lipa. I don't, I don't know if she writes her songs, though. And Taylor Swift does have, to my ear, many, many wonderful songs. Uh, but it doesn't seem to have that, you know, baseball bat upside the head sort of effect that you get from a band like the Ramones or a band like X or uh, even a, a band... Well, I'm I'm drawing drawing a blank right now. Mercury Rev, for instance, they they could have R E M, R E M is another good example. Yeah, R E M during the IRS years, in particular, I thought was was really had it. Like that it you're talking about it's like an invisible element because, like you're saying, like uh, the the more modern songwriters you you've listed, yeah, they all have. I'm sure good songs technically like you know a decent lyrical concept a melody that's hummable obviously Taylor Swift is talented at writing songs you you can't get that successful just by writing a deal with the devil or maybe you can I don't know but I'm sure she's very talented but there is a certain it factor and that's kind of I think you know rock and roll high school and the Ramones and that period of time in New York that Spencer was talking about CBGB's it's the sort of holy grail of that it stuff, that sort of that thing that makes you feel alive by watching a movie. Like you mentioned Pulp Fiction or other movies from the 40s mm-hmm. that would be called rock and roll movies that sort of fill you with this inspiration and also this sort of yearning and nostalgia at the same time. It's like inspiration, yearning, nostalgia. And, and, and you know all all mixed together and and i think that's like i don't know what do you think that is spencer what do you think that is well i want to bring up something that's interesting first of all the ramones were the first group from cbgb's to do a movie that's the first trivia thing you got to know um they were also great writers uh dd dd in fact dd dd uh ramon was a very good writer so the, the crux of the group had really good writing. But uh, uh, I wonder if you could repeat the question to me, Joe, again, because it got off base a little bit. Well, the whole question was off base. I was kind of waxing on what makes art and film special and thinking about, oh. you know, Stephen's book and the making of Rock and Roll High School. And we talk about Rock and Roll High School and 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 the Ramones as giving having it steven said things that have it and i'm trying to define what it is and how do we find it it's uh, for me it would be a hard one to answer i don't know i mean the ramones had a certain in fact seymour stein who signed them had a really rough time with warner brothers uh because warner brothers did not understand them uh, and and the beginning period was a real struggle for the Ramones anyway, but they had something. I mean, when I when I first heard their music, I felt they had something. I don't know what it was. It's that it thing or whatever charisma or whatever that thing is. And um, 
In fact, Seymour told me later, he said, Spencer, you're one of the few people that believed in the Ramones. I mean, at the time, in the beginning, it was a very hard sell. But Seymour believed in them, and they turned out to be this thing. And look, at they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, if nobody knows. And they're iconic. And that's another thing. I mean, they just had this combination of something which uh, carry over like talking heads had, you know, something that was very uh, hard to describe, like a charisma, maybe a great actor has, something like that. And um, mm -hmm. that's what that's what made them what they were. And there's, uh, some of it's very hard to describe, but they had what you would call the it. I think that's what you mean. I'm not no, sure. I mean, I don't mean charisma, though, because I think a lot of people have charisma. I think what the it I'm talking about is real spiritual power to relay uh sensitive aspects of the human condition in a way that that rocks and that's hard that's really hard to do uh just this week on x flea wrote uh joey ramone for sainthood um you know so that was i thought that was kind of interesting knowing that we would be having this conversation and then when you hear lou reed talk about his first time hearing the ramones he was just like not he was blown away he was like this yeah. this levels everything this is like changes everything I, I have you ever heard uh lou talk about that steven yeah uh, i, I just want to bring, I, I want to bring that in because lou actually had the ramones at his apartment and was giving right. them some uh, suggestions in the beginning you know uh and go right. ahead steve sorry i didn't mean to interrupt well, you, but i knew that fact yeah yeah you know i've i've only seen uh, something about that uh, with uh, I want to say Legs McNeil and 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 Punk Magazine and that Lou Reed was I think having a glass of wine and 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 listening to the the first time he saw the Ramones at CBGB but but I may be wrong uh, about about that but but if I could loop back and and the whole thing with Lou Reed if you if you listen to that first Velvet Underground record what does it start with it starts with Sunday Morning which is right. this plaintive plaintive song. That has mm -hmm. a great deal of self-loathing and, and yearning for something other than than, right. than what the person has, and and if the, the Velvet Underground is so famous for the drone music and the proto-punk stuff, but Lou Reed always had that ability to kind of convey ache, and and I think that might mm -hmm. be a part of the it factor right there. And so when you listen to the first Ramones album, it's bizarre, but there's a song about being the Nazi Shotzi, right? Today you love, tomorrow the world. And the way Joey's voice comes in at the end of that song, it just sounds like he wants so much to be in love that he's not really a, a Nazi, no more than Dee Dee was, but just that yearning, that ache, that craving to yeah, not, maybe not yeah. be alone. And and I, and I see that in a lot of the the, the rock and roll that that comes through. And and the and the the, the book takes its uh, name from the the song that Dee Dee wrote called you know, I want you around. And that's to the, the a gal that he'd met at, at, at Max's Kansas City, Vera, who was a secretary and model from the, uh, the, 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 the garment district, falls in love with her and he writes her this, this tremendous song and it becomes the centerpiece of the album. And it's really one right. of my, that and questioningly, I, those, those, those are the kinds of Ramon songs I like, the ones where you have that ache. And I, and I get that from, from those bands I listed earlier, like, like X and, and, and Mercury Rev, and even Talking mm -hmm. Heads, when you hear a song like um, like Heaven, that, you know, that, that, that yeah. from, from the, the building songs about uh, 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 buildings and food. And then and then the other one is uh, a Fear of Music. Those two albums, those earlier Sire records had so many these songs when when 
when David Byrne's birdie sort of voice just sounds like he wants, he wants. And yeah, uh, I thought I, th I worked on, I designed, co-designed Fear of Music, which was up for a Grammy in packages, a great package I worked on. And um, that album is very interesting. It has, that was, the I said it was the first album that made the top 25 in Billboard or top 50 in Billboard, first of all, really catapulted. Them. It's a totally different sound. And the songs were totally uh, like Robert Fripp is on I Zimbra, for instance, you know, Robert Fripp, uh, incredible album. You know what I mean? Uh, it, which is interesting. I got to tell you, Sire Records signed some of the most amazing groups. I mean, Seymour signed Madonna. He signed the Pretenders. He signed the Ramones. He signed Talking Heads and on and on. I mean, Dead Boys, you could go on and Louis. on. Yeah, true. Lou Reed, solo. You know, um, yeah. you know, here's the thing, and this will be maybe like me putting on a tinfoil hat for you guys a little bit, because I, I feel like that like we're sort of dancing around a really important conversation. And it's that it's like what you're saying, Stephen, is this yearning inside the music. But I think what music at its most powerful reminds us of our humanity and it humanizes everyone and it and it's the right. universal language where we can all kind of come together in this shared human experience experience um listening to other people that are conveying that yearning that we all feel and it, it's it's cathartic and it also brings us together it also it, it also helps us to connect with god or with our soul and what it, and how powerful the gift of life is and so the tinfoil hat aspect of this is there seems to be an agenda to dehumanize us there seems to be this sort of push towards um yeah making us forget about our connection with god and, and our connection with each other and so i you know it i can't help but wonder if the sort of lack of power we, we feel that that it factor of power that we feel from modern music that we that was so readily available in the in the Ramones in, in the Velvet Underground and the music we've been talking about from the past. Um, I, I can't help but wonder if some of that is on purpose. Um, can you guys go there in that direction? Is that too much of a tinfoil hat for you, Stephen? Or do you think there's something to that? I, I, I don't know, because I mean, I, I Part of me wants to say maybe some of the music it doesn't have these 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 spiritual aspects because some of the players that that were so good at creating that sound have passed like a Phil Spector right or Brian Wilson has been weak for I shouldn't say that but Brian Wilson has not been the Brian Wilson that we uh, many of us kind of worship to carry on with that that religion metaphor for a long time. And this Teenage Symphonies to God that he was writing in the 60s and the marvelous, crazy music he was writing in the 70s. It, but the, the spiritual connection, yeah, yeah. I mean, Springsteen hasn't done that for years, but if you listen to those, those, those three or four albums that he did all the way up to the river, you're just like, oh my gosh, this is the guy who understands the big feeling and is able to convey it, whether it's with a broad band, like, you know, the whole ensemble of the Street Band or just him with a guitar, uh, and has the spiritual sense been somehow occluded by modern times? Maybe so. But also, I think that the heavy hitters, they're just not around. Jack Nietzsche, the, the guy who 
who did the strings for the Rolling Stones. Um, and Neil Young. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I don't agree with I, that, though, man. I don't like now because there are heavy hitters are around. There's there's always really talented people around. Um, it, yeah. I I don't I, you know I just think that they don't have the same garden of of available opportunities that were once there. You know what I mean? When people were discovering what rock and roll could be, because if you think about it. Um, like with the Ramones, they invented a new sound. I mean, there was the Sex Pistols right. as well, the 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 punk sound, and it kind of all came from the Stooges, in a way, and then and right. by way of Jim Morrison, you know. But I, I mean, they invented a completely new thing. The Velvet Underground invented, the Talking Heads invented. So I think it's right. like right. conveying the big emotion at the same time inventing a new form. We were talking about hip hop, like those those you know first hip hop mega bands, you know, they were inventing something. And so I mean, some people could say you're a Luddite, they're still inventing Taylor Swift is inventing and and I'm sure on some level she probably is, but yeah it, it's an interesting question i don't know so you so you really think that well, i don't know what do you think spencer do you think those people aren't around well, anymore or do you think it's because they don't have the opportunity okay to so i i learned from a great man named pat kenny who had kenny's castaways in new york for many years you know had many great musicians play there and he told me when i first met him in new york he said i like bands who say things i don't like cover bands and what he was saying was people who say things with their music. Now, you, I know your music. Uh, I, I, I highly idolize your music, Joseph. You're a profound writer. In fact, the, I got to bring up the Lou album, which you put out at the time, a tribute to Lou Reed. That album is phenomenal. No one's ever heard that. That is an album of feeling and emotion. And talk about spirituality. I feel about that. Pale Blue Eyes is an amazing song that you cover. And other songs in it so you you have that thing that i think not every musician has it's a varied thing but there are certain musicians that have this depth i call it depth maybe i don't know what the wording is and a lot don't have it and that that's a big thing with i don't know if this uh to me that's what's going on you know what i mean there's certain musicians that have say things or have a high spiritual level or your music just has more depth. Other, other music's more syrupy, you know. I happy go lucky, that type of thing. I don't know. I I don't relate to that as much as musicians who say things with the music. You know what I'm saying, Joe? I do, and it makes me wonder if time is a factor in all this too, because we were talking about the eight. Stephen touched on the '80s a little bit too, and I remember when the '80s were happening. I was a kid then, but it was all considered oh this is pop garbage then but if you listen to it now it sounds amazing hall and oats those jams are incredible you brought up the cure they're amazing i mean so i wonder if if well as well if time helps to strengthen art what do you think stephen well i i mean this is these are really hard deep personal questions for me and i'm thinking about how when i was 13 or 14 i must have been 14 my father drove us up to Canada and we stopped at the Niagara Falls and I and I had my Walkman on and I made sure that sad story from Berlin was playing when I see the falls. Right. 
it just and I could that that's that to me was God at 14. And yes. Uh, and then Hallelujah. when I was writing when I when I was writing the book on on the, on the Ramones, you know, I've always had the Ramones around since my teenage years. And uh I've, I've been a fan of Sire. Uh I, I I was a kid who collected uh cassette tapes because they were it seemed to be a little bit cheaper. They were definitely cheaper than CDs. And I was happy with that. And, and they were all sire. But right. uh, uh, the, the answer for so so when I was started writing the book on on, on the rock and roll high school, I, I called a fellow named uh, Peter Crowley, who was the music director at Max's Kansas City. After it closed, you know, famously was where the Velvet Underground played when they did that record and Bob Quine did the, the recording of it. Right? I think it was. But uh, that it was reopened and and. Peter Crowley was talking to me, and, and of course, this had been where Wayne County had had done music, and Blondie when they when they were called the Stilettos was playing, and and Joy Rider and Mong and all, all these really fabulous right. bands from from the New York area, and 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 uh, Peter Crowley was unsolicited advice because I was talking bands from 1980s onward. He said, "Go back to your Little Richard, go back to your Jerry Lee Lewis, go back to your Bill Haley." And that's right. where I've been. I'm, I was just flipping through 45s in a thrift store last night. I was like, oh, my gosh, look at this. This is the Turtles, right? This is a Turtles single right here. And I realized that I'm, that's 60s rather than 50s. But, I mean, I've got my little Richard. I listen to my little Richard now ferociously, whereas before it was just like, oh, you know, very good. I know little Richard's trendy right now because of some documentary. But my interest is tangential to that. And my, I'm a real fan, you know. And 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 I'm starting to find some of that holiness in those, uh, you know, sparser productions of the 1950s. And uh, I, I wonder if I'm I'm still answering the question at this point, Joe. So I I, I can't remember. I mean, I can remember Buddy Holly. Uh, Buddy Holly's fabulous. Oh my god! Yeah, and 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 the recordings <laughs> were done in a simple studio, right, with no electronic junk straight away you know and those days that's what they did right sun studios or whatever you yeah. know that's what formatted yeah. the albums yeah. so that is a whole trip i mean uh, and you're exactly bring up really great stuff you know and that uh, that i got i go back that far i mean i i have a uh i have 45 collection i know lou reed was a big rock and roll collector and i i i was the same way and i think a lot of musicians were too but that whole thing, what you're talking about, the history in that area, not forgetting that stuff, that's very important. Yep. Yeah. we got to remember the past and, and the power contained therein and collect 45s. That's, uh, you know, nowadays that, that becomes, you know, highly valuable in a way to have something yeah. like that. Anyway, let me take a quick break. We'll be right back after these words on TNT. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. This is so obviously a PR-driven false narrative psyop, it's hard to believe anyone could buy it, much less get excited by it. But I guess they're right, you can fool some of the people all of the time. I'm talking, of course, about the latest love of the decade, Taylor Tay-Tay Swift, who is elevated to stardom by singing whiny songs about all her failed relationships. And Kansas City Chiefs tight end and Pfizer vaccine shill, Travis Kelsey. This isn't a romance. This is the Hollywood music industry and the NFL combining to push 
Joe Biden across the finish line next November. And along the way, Tay-Tay's gonna get the job done by pushing abortion. Her traditional audience was preteen girls, and she's trying to get that a little older demographic, the voting age demographic. Will it work? Time will tell. I just hope that people wake up before it's too late. For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Sometimes life can be overwhelming, and suicide may seem like the only way to relieve the pain. Beyond Now is an evidence-based app created by Beyond Blue to help you cope when suicidal thoughts start to appear. You can use it to create an easy-to-follow plan that is personal to you and includes steps like know your warning signs so you can act early, make your environment safe by removing harmful items, activities you can do or people you can be with to distract yourself from suicidal thoughts, reminders of things that make you feel strong, some of these steps might be tough to fill out, and that's okay. It can be helpful to make or share your safety plan with a trusted friend, family member, or mental health professional. You might feel like you're alone, but help is available. If you're worried you can't stay safe, use the red telephone icon to call your emergency contacts. Download the free Beyond Now app today to create your personal safety plan. Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Talking about music is like dancing about architecture. So they say we're trying to dance about architecture all night here tonight. Um, Stephen, you teach creative writing at Utah Tech. I'm wondering as well, how, how how do you go about doing that? I mean, is creativity something you can teach. I think of the artist way and the morning pages where you wake up and you write three pages of gibberish and get your unconscious mind flowing. And, um, but when you teach creative writing, are you teaching people like technically how to write or are you teaching them how to tap into their muse? Uh, so what I do is I, I, there was an idea I came across in graduate school called latent fluency is that everybody has the potential to be a writer you just kind of have to if you're a teacher you have to kind of help them cultivate that 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 habit that 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 calling uh, or answering that calling and and so i i do a lot of taking the fear out of writing out uh no no sense of punishment and 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 an insult and uh that that works fine for composition papers and in a certain extent it works with uh creative writing as well and uh what what happens though is is that uh, there are some principles of form, very basic, that if you pass them on to the students, and I'm sure this is the same way with music, just a, you know four or five rules of of form and, and composition, and it can kind of help them to start composing short stories and to a certain extent poetry, especially the free verse range of poetry. Uh, but you know, next term we're we're doing a, a, a the screenwriting class on the, the literary adaptation, uh, taking stories that are in the public domain, like you know, to build a fire and turning that into a, a short movie script. And so there will be a lot of instruction there. But I, I think it's a, you know, that that idea. I've seen that idea too. To wake up in the morning and 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 write the three pages out. And I've done that before. I, I find it better to just be, you know. Just as a bus driver goes to work and drives the bus each day, a writer goes to the writing table and writes each day. 
that's what I do. And I think the most discovery that you make is by, is by yourself. And so I try to cultivate that, that mindset in the writers. Well, have you ever yeah. read that book, The War of Art? I mean, and Stephen, I think his Pressfield is his name, and he talks about resistance and how the professional, no matter how he feels, sits down at his desk every morning and just starts writing for a certain allotted amount of time. Is that something that you teach? Because I find that my battle with creative resistance is epic and lifelong. And there are times when I'm in the flow and in the zone and I cannot be stopped and it's so easy and it's so effortless. I wonder why there was ever a problem. And then I find myself <laughs> months into just not even being able to get off of my couch for some reason, like, and I don't know what it, what's up. It's, it's crazy. I mean, do you deal with that? And, and is that something that you instruct people on? I did when I, when I was younger, and and then I I went into uh, I went into a line of work where there was no time for writing, and that was uh, being a line cook, and and when I, I eventually I got so so burned out on that, and it was like working on a pirate ship with crazy people, and I and I I, I took a break from that and and, and uh, started waiting tables again, right, and I when I would take orders. I would write down ideas for for stories and poems and 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 things that I might do uh, when I wasn't filling a soda pop or something, and and I was like uh, the whole purpose of my life is to bring the work day to the writing as close to possible as I can, and that's why it's been very convenient for me to be a English professor with a focus on writing for the past. I, let's see, I graduated in two thousand four from from Florida State. But before I've been in graduate school for six and a half years or so. So I've been teaching writing since 1998. And I really emphasize this is just work. It's it's it you don't have to don't certainly don't wait for the muse. Just sit at the table and try not to hate what you produce too much. And as long as you're getting something onto the page, that's that's good. As Stephen King, I, I don't really read Stephen King too much, but I did during the the, the years before punk rock. And he, and he likes the Ramones quite a bit, actually. But Stephen King says, doesn't matter what you're reading, just read so that you can produce the words with greater fluidity. And, and, and mm -hmm. so, you know, read as much as you can, write as much as you can. And, and if you're serious about writing, just as you were, if you were a graphic designer or a musician or a radio host, get, get that time. You know, that, that, uh, that, I, that whole idea of the 10,000 hours that you have to get your 10,000 hours. And Malcolm Gladwell talked about this the New York Times uh, writer, that you have to get your 10,000 hours in to get really good at something. And I've been wedded to that idea for a long, long time. I think it partly comes out of me um, as an athlete. If you want to get, as a former athlete, if you really want to get good at something, you really invest yeah. yourself totally into it. And so I, I sometimes will talk about the complete writer or the total writer. It's the person who wakes up in the morning and is thinking about writing and then while trying to go to bed is thinking about the next stories that can be written. But that's me. I, I think I, I think what you're bringing up is interesting because uh, you mentioned just on the side, I heard uh, it's relative to designers, painters, sculptors, writers. There's a thing about doing the work, uh, going away from it and coming back to it. You know, that type of thing in the process called the process, you know, the process. So I think there's similar relativity in different 
feels uh, that flow into it that makes sense. That uh, you know what I mean, like relativity, I call it. And yeah. so, in my in my area of design, I have the same thing. I mean, uh, I built up those hours. I know Joseph's a very prolific writer. I mean, not you, always. Not always, man. And that's my point. The point, like, and obviously what, what Steven's talking about is so true. The the real the real creatives go to sleep thinking about what they're gonna do the next day. They're so jazzed about what they accomplished that day. I've had many periods, long periods like that. And then I've had other periods where that doesn't happen. And then there's this whole other spiritual battle going on in terms of even just being it, it's sort of uh, in relationship to i guess maybe depression or dealing or battling self-esteem you're also in our day and age you're battling cancel culture in my case you know going through sort of cancel culture and 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 having the ability to keep making art even in that storm you know there's all storms of life as well you yeah. you have toxic relationships you're in a relationship with a narcissist i mean <laughs> whatever it is you know what i yeah. mean i'm just saying like there's like it's it's hard to be human and then you have health battles and all that so it's it's getting into that zone of being creatively open and free and really tapping in amongst all the storms of life i mean steven do you deal with that aspect of it do you acknowledge those storms with your students and tell them help them sort of circumvent those things to get to the place where they can create yeah, I and I and I, I talk speak about self forgiveness and that I ha there's an idea. It sounds very cynical, but it's actually not. And that it's ninety five percent of everything is crap. Okay, but it's our task to find the five percent, and that you can fill up a page and you look at it and you're like ninety five percent of this is crap. I'm going to put boxes around the stuff that's good. And so even when the 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 words are not coming out in that way that you described when you have a, you know like a song or a poem that pops out in 12 15 minutes or whatever when it's the grueling strenuous awful stuff that makes you question why you're doing it if you just stay at the table and just keep working it it, it justifies itself and and I think you know if, if Lou Reed is always on my mind uh uh there's the songs for Drella which was one of the Sire records that that, right. that that Lou and and John Cale released, and and what happens is that there's a line that Lou is is riffing on that that he got from Andy Warhol. It's like, you know, he's only done one poem, and Andy's saying, "Why don't you do two or three more, something like that?" Mm. And it's just sort of the code that I have embraced and adopted. Although I don't write poetry, uh, I've always felt kind of like second or third or tenth. Uh, uh, no, when I go up against Lou Reed's lyrics, I'm like, I can't do this. And then the music and I can't do this and the pathos. I can't. So that's how I became a writer. And 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 I, I don't if I just am steadily producing some good stuff will come out. And I try to carry that message to the students too. just try to produce something every day. I, I, and Hemingway said five minutes a day. That That's justification. I, I, think, I think it's really hard to do. It's like uh, relative. I'm going to go back to relativity designers. There's many not really good designers. You can teach them whatever you want and say this is the type to use or anything, but you can't. I mean, I had a Yale training in design, so I came out luckily with a good background, but most designers are not that good. That goes for other writers. That goes for 
any other thing, even musicians, you know, it's a very hard thing, I think, to teach it. Uh, you're doing a wonderful job, I'm sure, but I think it's really difficult. Uh, it's not your fault. It happens to be what the person's born with, I think, part of it. And certain people can do certain things. That, like you teach them photography the best in the world, but a lot of them are not good photographers. You know, it just happens that way. You know this. I don't know. I'll bring up another point. I don't know. There's a high yeah. poser factor, too. And and uh, I think there will be even more with, with AI, with its encroachment. If you're going to talk oh, about you know, the, 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 the losing of, of, of the human impulse to and its spirituality to technology, oh, that's, that's right. a starting point. Let's, right not even, let's not even go down that rabbit hole. We don't have enough time. And I want to ask you guys some other fun questions, which is scary. who's the best? Iggy Pop, Lou Reed, or David Bowie, Stephen. <laughs> you can only pick one. Name name the order. Ah, I, I and I call them the unholy three. Uh, and and you know you have because you have Bowie, seventies and all the way up from me up to Blue Jean. That was the last song of like wow Bowie wow factor for me. And then Iggy is so hot and cold. So I guess it would have to be Lou. It would have to be Lou. But I can only find myself listening to a couple albums, Street Hassle and uh and and uh New Sensations. Those are the two records that I go back to over uh, I, I never shake them. I don't lose Street them. And the Velvet stuff, the first Velvet record. Yeah. The first yeah, Velvet There's record. a lot of good Lou. All right, what do you think, Spencer? He's putting Lou first. What are you putting? Wow, I love Iggy, man, big time. I love Iggy. Um, I don't know. Well, man. we love them all, dude. We love them all. This is just the. I don't know. I mean, they're all got something. They're all different. They're all geniuses. I mean, you know, I mean, you're a genius. I love your music. I mean, come on, man. I mean, Thanks, I mean, man. I I'm not going to put myself in in this in this round table. Though. <laughs> I, I know, but I'm just saying that those they're they're all good. I mean, I don't know yeah. Bowie. Iggy, I mean, I know that's a hard one, man. You know, I, I, Scary Monsters yeah. and you know the Super Creeps is just one of those records I can listen to without it get tired or tired of it. And and Lust for Life that way. I'm I'm sorry, I like that record a lot, but I'll still tune yeah. in if Iggy's metal or if he's French yeah yeah music or jazz, whatever it's going to be. I'll, I will listen to Iggy. It's spoken poetry too, spoken verse, whatever he does. But yeah, he, he, well. Stephen, okay. I, I think you I think you should uh make a documentary film about um about this book you just wrote. Why don't you tell people where to find the book and do a little promotion of it? Are, and are you planning on turning it into a documentary? I think it could make an exceptional one. And Spencer Drake could design the DVD. <laughs> That's these are great ideas. And I've I, another person, uh, uh, an indep independent producer in Hollywood, uh, says that I should look into to dramatizing it to putting it into a screenplay uh, yeah. yeah yeah if the documentary i i you know i i, I don't know i'd have to talk to some people about that but then right. here's the book promote right it. here and promote you get it, it at amazon off in, a, in okay. 30 seconds so go ahead promote it real quick amazon and barnes and noble and until the second run comes out uh when whether when then uh the punk rock uh, museum down in las vegas and it's called i want you around it's all about the making of Rock and Roll High School by Stephen B. Armstrong. And Spencer Drake, thank you for coming on, my friend. I love you like a brother. Always yeah. have, always will. I, I want to I wanna put in one thing. I, I, he writes you better about, be quick, bro. 
Yeah, he stuff. writes about the making of the uh, uh, Road to Ruin album, which I designed in the book. All right, and you designed Road to Ruin. You designed a lot of genius things. You're a genius. A record Spencer filled Drake. with aching. A record filled uh, with aching. All right, guys, thank you. Let's right. get out there and be Thanks. filled with aching. Keep listening to TNT.